All right. Good morning, Garden City. Happy daylight savings time. Did everybody sleep well last night? I did. I slept like a baby, and I got an extra hour. It was so good. We should all be well rested this morning. Hope you guys enjoyed the extra hour last night. Also, um, I was not here last week, and I'm surprised at how many of you actually noticed that. So thank you for noticing that I wasn't here. Um, I have a friend who's a pastor. He's on sabbatical, so got to go and fill in. He asked me if I would come and uh, take a Sunday at his church while he's gone, so that was super fun. Um, but thanks for missing me. I think for those of you that did, for those of you that didn't, um, that's totally fine. I wouldn't miss me either. Um, but great to be back in the house this morning. Just one announcement. Uh, you guys know Thanksgiving is coming. And uh, one of the things that we do regularly every Thanksgiving is uh, Thanksgiving baskets. And the simple idea behind that is um, for most of us, maybe for many of us, uh, Thanksgiving is a normal thing that we do. And it's just part of our normal rhythm. We buy the turkey, we buy the stuffing, and we do all the festivities. But not everybody has the ability financially to enjoy Thanksgiving that easily. And so we're connected to, to families and people in need. And so what we want to do is um, take some of the stress and worry out of their Thanksgiving by providing a Thanksgiving meal for them. So what we do, if you, if you choose to do this, great. If not, that's totally fine. But we, uh, we have some Tupperware bins that uh, if you want to sign up to provide food, we'll give you a Tupperware bin. Inside of that bin will be um, a list of things that you can go buy from the store. Turkey, stuffing, cranberry, whatever, all the things. And then um, you will go buy those things, put it in the bin, and then bring it back. And at uh, Jeff and Stacy's house over here on West Market, you'll drop it off, and then we will distribute it uh, from there. So uh, consider that uh, as Thanksgiving is coming, just a way for us to serve some people around us. Also, if you're connected to a family or some people in need who would benefit from a basket, you could also just let us know at the back table. Uh, we love to, to bless people that we're in relationship with, so if you know somebody in need, please let us know. Okay, we're going to jump in. We're uh, in a new series now until we get to actually our Christmas series. That's next. Do you believe that? Uh, so Christmas is coming, but uh, the, the series that we're going to jump into is a series on shame. It sounds really fun. Um, so four weeks on shame, uh, but something that we don't regularly talk about, but we need to. So uh, as we jump in, I want to draw your attention to um, some characters in stories um, never travel by themselves. They always and only seem to travel in pairs. Think about, um, think about Batman and Robin. Like where you see Batman, you're going to see Robin. Where you see Robin, you're going to see Batman. They travel in pairs. Uh, for those of you who were uh, from my era, you would uh, maybe say Maverick and Goose travel in pairs. Like you're going to see them both in the same place at the same time they travel together. Uh, old school, Lone Ranger and Tonto. They're, they're, you're, getting, you're getting one, you're getting the other. Because they're coming together. They're a pair. They work together and they don't work alone. Just to let you know that I'm up on the times, uh, Travis Kels and Taylor Swift. How about that, huh? Everybody under 25, just they like that one. I just want to let you know that I do know what's going on, right? Travis and Taylor are, are now a pair, I think, as of last news cycle. Where you see one, you might be bound to see the other, right? There are some characters who you don't get one without the other. They come together. So uh, this morning, what, what I want us to see is that sin and shame are a pair that travel 
together. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, we know that sin happened. And immediately after sin, there was shame. And shame is signified by the, uh, by the revealing that Adam and Eve were naked. There was a nakedness that they had been walking in physically, but now nakedness sent in on a whole new substantive level. And what that means is sin happened and then shame happened immediately after that because they travel together. And then we see Adam and Eve coming to grips with trying to deal with that by sewing fig leaves together to try to cover up their sin shame. Sin shame. We could actually make it one word because they travel so closely together. Sin first, shame second, but they never travel alone. Sin. In the New Testament, Old Testament, multiple words. In the New Testament, one of the very descriptive words to describe what sin is, is it's, a, it's an archery term where uh, you, you take your arrow and you shoot it, and a bullseye is a bullseye. That's a perfect shot. Anything that isn't the bullseye is a sin. It's missing the mark. And some sin misses the mark by a little bit. Some sin misses the mark by a whole lot. But to sin means to miss the mark. God made us for a flourishing, thriving, abundant life where we're hitting and nailing the mark in relationships with other people, in relationship with Him, in our own personal identity, in the work and the vocations that we live out. We were made by Him to hit the mark, and it's good when that happens. Sin is anything that is deviant or missing that mark. Sin missing the mark happens first. Shame happens second. What's shame? New Testament, several words for shame, but one of the words that I think is so descriptive, so depending, like if you look up shame in the New Testament, not all of them are going to have this um, definition, but there, there, there is one that this is what shame means in the New Testament. The root word for one of the descriptions of shame in the New Testament is um, actually means uh, the motion from higher to lower. It's a, it's a, it's a descending motion. From high to low, that's what shame means. From higher to lower. Uh, if you ever think, maybe think back on your youthful years, have you ever had somebody say to you, you should be blank of yourself. You should be ashamed of yourself, okay? You should be ashamed. Older people didn't say that to you when you were a kid, just... Um, out of the blue, typically what happened was you would have missed the mark regarding something you did. Oops, I did that thing, or maybe you meant to do it, so it wasn't an oops, but you did the thing, and then an adult in your life would come alongside and say, you should be ashamed of yourself. Why? Because of what you did. Because of what you did, you you should feel lower about yourself. Before you did this thing, yeah, you could think highly of yourself, you're doing good, but after you did this thing, what that, what that says to the world is, you're, you're lower, you're less than, you have moved downward, and that's where you should be and feel right now. You should be ashamed of yourself. Now, early disclaimer here, probably a lot of disclaimers as we move through these four weeks in shame. Not all shame that we feel is from our specific sin. Sin and shame travel together, but just because you're feeling shame doesn't necessarily mean that you are the one who has missed the mark. Think about a a victim of abuse. 
um, a victim of abuse will oftentimes feel shame regarding what was done to them. Someone else missed the mark in their behavior, and their sin impacts a person who is going to carry and feel that shame. They didn't do anything to carry it, but someone else's sin did cause it. Uh, even outside of abuse, uh, when I was growing up, uh, if you, if you um, came up with a zinger to say to somebody that would make them feel bad, we would call that a put-down. A put-down is a way to say something to take somebody from higher to lower and make them feel low. A put-down. Even in the language that we use, we understand the root of what shame is. It's to pull someone down. But the point is that whether it's our sin or someone else's sin, sin and shame are a pair. They go together. And it's impossible for us not to feel the emotional response from going higher to lower. Shame is something we feel. You can look this up. It's interesting. New Testament, the word for shame that means higher to lower. That's the first meaning of it. The second meaning, which is very much tied to the first, is to put the face to the red. Because, like to blush. To, right? to put to the blush is like the second definition in shame, and it, and it goes with the first when we go from higher to lower because of something we did, something that was done to us, something that was said to us, when we go from higher to lower, we want to blush. We're feeling that, and we carry that in ourselves. And as we carry shame, regardless of what the source was, it becomes like a poison in our veins that impacts and poisons everything around us. Remember back to Genesis chapter 3, they're feeling naked, they're feeling ashamed, their face has been put to the blush because of what they did, their sin, they missed the mark, they have trended downward from higher to lower, and as a necessary result, they're feeling their face being put to the blush, they're feeling shame. Now out of that shame, what do they do? Well, as the story goes on in Genesis 3, they're hiding from God they're blaming and fighting with each other, and they're being alienated from their creational roles. Everything gets affected by shame. That's Genesis 3. Let's put it in the context of our everyday life just so we're all on the same page. Um, when Megan and I were freshly married, we, just, we bought a house just after we got married and we moved in. I'd always been a renter. I'd never owned a house before, and um, I'm not very attentive to details. So there would be times where we would pull into our uh, driveway and Megan would ask the question, Brian, are you going to mow the grass? And the reason why she would ask that is because our grass would be like a foot high. Uh, Because I I just never had never been trained to think about the grass. I didn't really care about the grass. But when Megan would ask me that question, uh, are you going to mow the grass? Here's what I heard her saying. Are you going to mow the grass? Because I I wasn't carrying any amount of shame regarding the grass not being mowed. So when she asked that question, it was like, oh yeah, I oh shoot, I missed that. Sorry, I'll mow the grass today. Very simple. I heard her question without shame, which means I could hear the question she was asking. Are you going to mow? Yeah, I'll mow today. Thanks for reminding me. Sometimes we hear that question, are you going to mow? But we hear it with shame, which means we're going to hear that question a whole lot differently than maybe we should. 
So if Megan were to say, Brian, are you going to mow that grass? And if I was carrying shame regarding me not mowing the grass, here's what I might be prone to hear her really saying. Hey, Brian, you are a good for nothing. Um, why haven't you mown the grass yet? You're lazy. You never get things done. You are not good enough. I wish I had a spouse who took care of things well, someone who's not like you. Shame residing in a human heart allows us to interpret things in a very different way. We see things that aren't there. We hear things that were never meant to be said. It messes with us. It's like a poison that goes inside of us. Now, when Megan asked that question, I didn't have any shame regarding the grass because I really don't care. If you don't like my yard, it's not going to affect me. I don't carry shame regarding the appearance of my yard. But um, I'll I'll be a little vulnerable here for a second. Now, there's another question that Megan would ask me um, throughout our marital years, and that would be after um, I would like give a, a sermon in a, you know, either here at Guard City or in the past and other ministries that I had led. And when we were done, uh, with, we'd be going home from the service that we had led and been a part of, and Megan would ask me the question, hey, hey, Brian, how do you think that went? How do you think that went tonight or this morning? And I, I'm just going to be honest with you, there's two different ways that I would hear that. Uh, if, I did, if I felt like I did a great job of making sense of what I wanted to make sense and I felt like the Lord was moving, at that point, if Megan said, how do you think that went, um, I, I'm not carrying any shame, and I would say, good. And that would be the end of the conversation because I, I just wouldn't take it any further than that. Megan knows that. Um, but if, uh, in my teaching, if there was a point that didn't come across the way that I wanted to come across, if I said something, and typically early, in my earlier days, I would say silly things that I didn't know were silly, and then I'd realize it later after everybody laughed. I'm like, why is everybody laughing? Well, it's because I said this thing that I shouldn't have said, but I didn't mean to say it. Something like that happened. If I didn't illustrate a point, like there was a, a point that I was really excited about and I had this great illustration, if it didn't come out clearly and punch the way that I wanted it to punch, I would, I would feel shame regarding that. And if Megan would have said to me, Brian, how do you feel like that went? And if it didn't go well from my perspective and I'm feeling a bit of shame about that, then um, I'm hearing a whole lot of different things other than how do you think that went. What I'm hearing Megan say is, um, Brian, I don't want to be the one to have to tell you how bad that was. I'm hoping that you're mindful of it and that you can self-correct and I'd like to hear all the ways that it didn't go wrong. And at that point, out of that feeling, I never did this, but what I always wanted to do when I was feeling shame and Megan said, how did it go? Megan's not intending this. She's not trying to get me. But when I was feeling shame about my performance and she said, how do you think that went? What I would, what in my heart I wanted to do is to take Megan, walk her outside the door, um, close the door behind her, lock the door, pull the, bla- pull the shades and just like be done with her for a little bit because I, I didn't like feeling like that. And if I didn't like feeling like that, I didn't like the one who was making me feel like that. The question was, how do you feel like that went? Shame causes a whole bunch of other things to go on that ought not and maybe should not be going on. Same question. Did you mow the grass? Are you going to mow the grass? Different hearer. Same question. Brian, how do you feel like that went? Different hearer. Shame, no shame. Big difference. Shame, to go from higher to lower, to put the face to the blush, it is a poison that wrecks so many things. So, out of the gate here, shame is a problem. It's a big problem. 
sin shame, but shame is a problem, and we cannot live fully alive in the way that God made us to live with it in us. We can't. It is impossible. If we are carrying shame, we will not be able to live fully alive in all the ways God made us to live fully alive. That's number one. Number two is we are powerless against it. There's nothing that we can do to break it, defeat it, to rid ourselves of it. If it's in us, then it's just going to stay there unless, point three. And here's what we have to realize. Jesus hates it when his sons and daughters have what we're going to call dark spiritual forces inside of us that war against us, that wreck everything about us and around us. He hates it. Jesus hates it when his kids have dark spiritual forces against them. And the good news is he has a plan to deal with it. We're powerless. He is not. Okay, with that, I want us to go to Mark chapter 5. I want us to look at a story here. And in this story, um, I just want to be real clear. Like oftentimes, um, I, I like to be real precise in like what I'm saying. The reason why it's fun to teach the Bible is because it's not just me coming up with my own ideas. Like I can, I can confidently speak and say things because it's coming out of what God has revealed. And that's why I want to really dig in and understand clearly what he is saying because the only authority that I have is the authority that God is actually making true or clear in the truth that he's given us. Now this morning, um, th- this isn't going to be like tight in the way that maybe I normally like it, okay? So I'm going to ask you to just kind of go along with me and, and, to, and to allow this to say what I think it's saying, but in a general kind of way. And I'll explain when I say general, I, I'll explain what that means. Because I've said that, that's, that shame is a dark spiritual force. It is. It's real, it's alive, it's powerful, and it messes with us. Sin is a dark spiritual force that messes with us and impacts and maims us. Okay? Mark chapter 5, this will make sense in a second. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Jesus alone has the power to deal with our shame. Here we go. Um, They came to the other side of the sea. They would be Jesus and his core disciples. And they came to the country of the Gerasenes. Verse 2. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. Okay, I just want to be clear. What I am not saying this morning is that shame is a demon that is running around and looks to hop inside of us to ruin our conversations and to make life difficult for us. Right? I'm a firm believer that we ought to be as clear as God makes things clear and let things be vague where God allows things to be vague. I'm not saying that shame is a demon, but what I am saying is this, is that demonic powers are real, personal, dark spiritual forces that are roaming around doing malicious things. They are. They're dark spiritual forces of a personal and personality nature. Now, sin and shame, I believe, are dark spiritual forces, they're, but they're impersonal. They're, they're, they're things, but they're not like real persons, okay? But this morning, what I want to draw the connection to is that this man who is struggling with demonic oppression has a dark spiritual force that is alive and moving inside of him, that's doing some certain things, 
and sin and shame are also dark spiritual forces that, w- that reside within us that, that do damage and destructive things. Okay? So the similarity here is this. I'm not saying sh- that shame is a demon. I don't know that. That's beyond my pay grade. I am drawing the parallel between the dark spiritual force of the demon and the dark spiritual forces that oppress us as sin and shame. Okay, now here's what, here's what I see here. Um, this man who's got an unclean spirit in him, he lives among the tombs, verse 3. Here's the truth. Dark spiritual forces always alienate us from the good things that God has for us. Right? Dark spiritual forces are alienating this man here in Mark chapter 5 from everybody else. He's not going back to town to lay his head at night. He's not going to work with the guys when it's time to go to work. He's not hanging out with his extended family for Thanksgiving. He is, he is divorced and separated from all of that. Why? Because he's got a dark spiritual force that is inside of him and wrecking everything. Similarly, right, shame will cause distance and separation to happen between us and all of the things that God made us for, particularly here, relationships. Right? This guy is living among the tombs. He is living in the location of death because of the dark spiritual force, whereas God wants him to be free from that so that he can live in the regions of life where people and real things are going on. But that's what dark spiritual forces do. They alienate us from everything. Okay? Then, in ver- let's go to verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Crying out, cutting himself with stones. Shame, which is also a dark spiritual force. Impersonal, but it's still powerful. Shame will cause us to harm ourselves. This guy's got a demon inside of him. And this dark spiritual force is causing him to injure himself in a variety of ways. Shame does the same for us. In our shame, when we are moved from higher to lower and our face has been put to the blush, right? We feel a certain way. And in that certain way that we feel, we also will physically Physically, I want to be clear here, we will physically harm ourselves. It's, it's a real thing, and I don't know how long this has been going on, but I've been aware of it for 20, maybe 25 years, where like cutting is a real thing. Where individuals who are feeling shame will, because they feel a certain way about themselves, they will then necessarily harm their body with real physical pain as a manifestation and a picture of what they deserve. They deserve to be cut, hurt, injured physically. It's a real thing, and it really hurts and harms people. When we're feeling shame, we don't like to feel that way, so oftentimes, physically, we will try to mask that. So we will drink ourselves into oblivion, which is physically harming us in a whole bunch of ways. All the doctors in the house could come up and tell us what alcohol in massive quantities over time will do to the insides of our body. It's not good. Shame will cause us to injure our physical selves. Sometimes in our shame, we will overeat. Overeating doesn't do great things for our body. 
Oftentimes in our shame, we will move to drugs. We know what that does to our body. We will move to inappropriate kinds of sexual activity. We will do things that harm our physical selves because of the reddening of the face. It makes us feel a certain way, and we're going to have to act out of that, and whatever we do hurts us physically. But it doesn't just, shame doesn't just cause us to harm ourselves physically and literally. It also causes us to harm ourselves psychologically. When we have been brought from higher to lower, we've been put down by somebody else or something that we've done, and we've been put red to the face. When we're feeling that way, oftentimes um, we will declare certain things about ourselves. Right? we, We may say to ourselves, you good for nothing. You nobody. You're never going to get this right. Everybody's better than you. Everybody's smarter than you. Everybody's more talented than you. Nobody wants you here. These are things that we say to ourselves. Maybe not in like verbal language, but we, it's our internal voice that we're speaking these things back over ourselves, right? We ought not listen to the podcast of ourselves speaking over ourselves. It's not good because it does harm to us. Shame will cause us. Shame, the dark spiritual force, will cause us to harm ourselves physically, psychologically, emotionally, you name it. Okay, verse 6. And when he, this man who's got a dark spiritual force in the form of a real demon, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. The dark spiritual forces that we are absolutely 100% powerless against, they bow before Jesus. Isn't that cool? I can't deal with shame. I can't do a lick about sin. I can try to manage it. I can try to negotiate with it. But I can't, I can't really ultimately do anything about it. Powerless, 100%. But it's comforting to know that the dark spiritual forces here, they run to Jesus and they bow low because they know. They know who the real power broker on the scene is. And so regarding our sin and specifically our shame... It is good for us to go into close proximity to Jesus so that the dark spiritual force of shame that lives inside of us can also bow low before him. It's not bowing to me. It's not submitting to me, but it will submit to him. Verse 8, for he, Jesus, was saying to the unclean spirit, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Okay, so what Jesus wants is he wants the dark spiritual force out of this man. He doesn't want it in there. He doesn't like the fact that the man has got a dark spiritual force inside of him, driving him and directing him into the places of death, isolating from everything that is good. Jesus says, no, that's not what I made you for. I want you out. And the same is true for us. Any dark spiritual force that is alive and inside of us, whether it's personal or non-personal, right? We're being general here. Jesus wants to drive those out of us. Now, this is where things get really interesting. 
And you're going to have to go with me into some generalities and into some abstractions if we can. But this is where it gets interesting. In verse 10, what does Jesus do with this dark spiritual power? Verse 10. And he, this is, right, we, we learn that the demon's name is Legion because there's multiple in there. And he, Legion, the multiple demons, begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The dark powers enter the pigs. Now for the Hebrews, let's just get into the Hebrew mind here for a second. Um, when, when, when a Hebrew person in the first century would have heard pigs, they would have heard unclean, nasty, gross, dirty, ew. That's what they would have heard. We read this story from our cultural perspective and we think, oh, what a waste. All of those ribs are now inhabited by the unclean spirit, right? Oh, no, the pork tenderloins are now contaminated. No, that's not what the Jews are thinking. Unclean spirits going into an unclean animal. And there's a connection there because that's where they belong. Unclean, dark spiritual forces, do, they don't belong inside of us. God didn't make us for that. We're not their rightful dwelling place. They belong in something that is unclean. Let the dark powers go into the pigs. That's a match made in heaven. Okay, just Culturally, just understand that. So whatever the dark spiritual forces enter, sin and shame, whatever they go into is unclean and it's suitable and fitting that it would be. So, verse 10 to 13, dark power sent out of the man and into the unclean. Then, second half of verse 13. And the herd of pigs, numbering about 2,000, rushed down, key in on that, rushed down from higher to lower. Catch that? They rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. Pigs, unclean, rushing down, shame, motion, higher to lower. And then what happens is after the higher to lower, they die in the abyss of the waters. Dark powers cast out of a man into the unclean. The unclean rushes down into death Is this not what Jesus does for us? Isn't that it? Right? We believe, and rightly so, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. Jesus, the pure and spotless one, and he had to be for the sake of being a suitable sacrifice to cover us and to take our sin, that our sin would leave us and go on him. He had to be the pure and spotless lamb. And so we at least have a cognitive sense of what Jesus did with our sin. We kind of understand that and we're very thankful for that. I think that we have no idea what to do with our shame. Jesus, thank you for taking my sin. Regarding shame, I don't know about that. I haven't thought about that one before. I don't know. I guess that's mine to carry. He took the consequences of my sin, but I guess 
I should still be ashamed of myself. Because that's what everybody told me when I was a kid. Well, I don't know at that point if we're thinking rightly regarding what God has shown us regarding sin and shame. Because remember, sin and shame always travel together. If you separate one, the other is going to go with it. Where one is, you're going to find the other. Where sin is, shame is going to follow. So if Jesus takes our sin, which is a dark spiritual power, and if he takes that upon himself, and then if he's taking our sin, is he not also taking its companion, the shame, the higher to lower embarrassment, the self-identity of being lowly and nothing? Does he not also take the effect of sin on him too? And when he takes that upon himself, does he not also rush downward into the abyss of death himself? Pigs went down a hill into the sea. Jesus gets down off of the cross and goes into the tomb. What is he doing? He's, he's taking upon himself the dark spiritual powers. Yes, of sin, but also of shame. And so I just wonder if we are carrying things that we ought not to carry. We're carrying shame because we think it belongs with us. And it isolates us and it alienates us from everything good that God has made for us. When Jesus is trying to show us, no, I I came to deal with the sin-shame thing. That pairing that goes inseparably together. And I came as the spotless lamb, and we celebrate that. And I even feel a little bit guilty saying this, but I just want to read into this, maybe as we ought to, that Jesus also then doesn't just become the pure and spotless lamb, he becomes the unclean one also, the ew, gross, nasty, the way that the Jews saw the pigs. Jesus becomes that for us for a short time. But he becomes that for us and takes our shame into the abyss and he deals with it, just like he dealt with our sin. And then the response here is verse 15. Verse 15, and they, right, all the people are coming out to see this thing that has happened because word is spreading. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, that was his identity, He was the guy who had the dark spiritual power. That's how everybody knew him. And they saw the demon-possessed man who had had the legion. He's now sitting there clothed. Oh, praise the Lord for the covering that he gives. Clothed and in his right mind. Band, come on back up. We're going to sing a little bit more. Um, But here's... Here's the point. This is just week number one. We haven't explained everything. We're just getting our feet wet here. Our sin and our shame will either cause us to live in the tombs personally, or we can allow Jesus to carry our sin and shame into the tomb, which is where he already went. And he's so excited to take that for us because he doesn't want us to carry it anymore. Jesus says... This is a paraphrase of the New Testament. Jesus says, regarding sin and shame, he says, look this up in the Greek. He says, I got this. I got this. You don't. It will drive you to the tombs. It will isolate you. It will destroy you. It will kill you. You have no power over it. 
Jesus says, that's okay. Here's the gospel, the good news. I got this. And I just think we need to get really good at letting him, letting him take both. Sin, shame. Both on him. It's an invitation. Mm. Jesus goes down so that we can go free. That's a good God right there. That's a gift. That's an invitation. That is good news. Yeah. And to celebrate that this morning, we're going to take communion to celebrate Jesus' movement from the higher to the lower, the wrecking of his body and the shedding of his blood and the entrance into the abyss itself. He goes down, we go free. And this, uh, we're just beginning, right? This is going to be uh, three more weeks in the making, but the invitation, even as we take communion now, is, uh, is to start to ask him, our God, you have, you've clearly taken my sin. I understand that. I see that. I don't understand all of that, but what I understand, I'm so thankful for. But to start asking the question, Jesus, what does it look like for me to release to you my shame? you've done it you've offered it what does it look like for me to hand this off to you and as we start asking those questions I think it's just good to have the broken body and the shed blood in front of us as a tactical and a tactile reminder of what he's done so uh, guys come on forward we'll start passing those out at any point in the next couple of songs uh, feel free to take it um, and celebrate the one who went from the higher to lower to send us from the lower to the higher. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us and for being so good. Thank you for Jesus, that all dark spiritual powers of every variety bow to him. And so, Father, we bow before Jesus now just saying thank you for taking our sin, shame. We pray that you would take that more and more, that you would teach us how to release our shame to you because that's where you want it so that we can leave the tombs and start living free. God, we ask you to do this over the next several weeks. Tutor us in the process as only you can in the deep places of our minds and our hearts. Lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.